Sergeant Ray is like, well, I'm the head of the DUI unit. I love arresting drunk drivers. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Let's get the SWAT team and roll the fuck out. <laughs> Welcome to Lawyers Behaving Badly. I am Jennifer Judge. And I'm Karen Delaney. Welcome. How are you, friend? Oh, I'm sore. I'm trying to get back into working out on a regular basis, which you know has been just an extreme challenge for me over the last year. Because I got, for those who don't know, I got COVID for the first time last year in late January, early February, and it knocked me on my ass. I mean, for months, I was not able to work out. I was seeing a cardiologist, a pulmonologist, all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And then on top of all the regular, when my kids are sick, that throws things off. They make me sick. And I'm just, look, I'm just trying to get my ass halfway up my back for summer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to lift some heavy stuff. So I was doing that before we recorded and like hopped in the shower real quick. And I've got my protein shake going over here and just uh, living the dream. I'm in the same place. Like I'm trying to get back into like a semi-regular routine working out. Not that this is going to become like a health and fitness account, but um, yeah, I've been doing the same thing and life has just been really intrusive recently. And like, I thought I was going to today, but we have painters at the house that got here at eight and they're in my bathroom, which meant I couldn't shower. So I couldn't, it was just one of those things. You, know? you don't want to so, be, you don't want to be doing squats in front of the painters. <laughs> I don't. And my husband was like, just go shower in another room. And I'm like, I don't want to shower weird. when I'm home alone with the painters. So no, it feels, it feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like it might make them uncomfortable too, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, and the bathroom is directly over where they'll be. So they're like, hear the shower running. So yeah. No, thank you. Um, yeah, that just feels very uncomfortable for everybody involved. Exactly. So I'm in that place right now, but otherwise everything's great. You are wearing our merch right now. Um, I am. We actually, we actually were supposed to do housekeeping before we started chit chatting, but surprise, surprise, <laughs> <laughs> we failed to follow the plan. Uh, so housekeeping matter, as we mentioned in our last episode, we now have merch. We will drop a link to T Public in the show notes. And you can go get yourself some merch. I wore, when I was working out today, throwing around heavy stuff, I was wearing a professional mess enthusiast (laughs) pink top, (laughs) which I love. And right now I'm wearing a little baseball tee that says lawyers behaving badly. This is actually the one that I wore to physical therapy earlier this week. And of course it's been washed, but this I think is probably my favorite one. It's just like so comfortable and it's cute. So yeah, where I guess uh, didn't your merch get there yesterday? What's it your got excuse? here yesterday? My youngest is wearing his lawyers behaving badly T-shirt to school today, and I'll say for those of you who are kind of on the fence about like, oh, what's the quality like here? I was very pleasantly surprised with the quality of the T-shirts. Yeah, and I thought they were very soft. Um, my son has a few from a different thing on Tee Public, um, and they're all very high quality. He wore it today. I didn't tell him he had to, but he wanted to. He'd asked for it, so he wore Aww. it today. And he then he goes, Mom, are you just trying to pimp out your kids to advertise your podcast? And I was like, Yeah, get on the bus. (laughs) (laughs) So good luck with that. Do a good job. Thanks. (laughs) Make good choices. Bye. 
if anyone asks, tell them about it. And then he did ask, he was like, am I allowed to wear this? Because you do say fuck a lot on the podcast. And I was like, well, you're, you don't want your friends to listen, but tell their parents. Yeah. My kindergartner wore his to school, I think on Monday. And as we're walking out the door, of course, you know, we're scooting out basically at the last possible minute. We do not have time for anything else. And he's like, mom, I, maybe I should go change my shirt. And I was trying not to be deeply personally offended. And I asked him, why, why are you uncomfortable or what? And he said, well, I don't want, you know, what if, what if they think that lawyers do bad things? And I was like, oh, that's a discussion that we do not have time for at the moment. Trust me. It's fine. Let's go. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, you should listen to the podcast a little bit. (laughs) Well, he did tell me he has heard it. He has heard snippets of it as I sometimes listen to it around the house because I'm obsessed with us. But uh, (laughs) we do have a swear jar now, uh, which is a real financial problem for me personally. Um, But I've had to stop listening to it around the house because every time he hears a word, he tells me I need to put money in the swear jar. And (laughs) I'm like, buddy, we don't have enough. We don't have that much money. (laughs) I was about to say, I don't carry that kind of cash. We can't can't institute that. I just have to put it in 20s. I know, well, it's it's more of an IOU swear jar. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, this jar jar is for you, not for me, because we're trying to reform (laughs) your potty mouth. I'm a lost cause. We have some friends coming over for dinner um, this weekend and their son who's in some of my oldest classes is coming over to hang out with my kids and they're going to play while we have dinner. And I was giving my kids kind of the pre game before they come over on Saturday. And I was like, you cannot swear nearly as much as you do when there's no one at the house. Like these are very nice people. Please don't offend them with how much you swear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're working on it. So parenting's great. (laughs) Yeah, parenting's, we're doing an awesome job. Um, Yes. Yeah. So with that, should we move into the hot topic that I was going to do when we recorded yesterday, but now you're doing because (laughs) we got (laughs) way sidetracked. We got a little carried away yesterday. Although I think the episode is going to, uh, it's ultimately going to be a lot shorter than we thought because there's a whole segment where we're talking very specific shit that we got to edit out. Yeah. <laughs> we went back and we were like, oh, wait, no, we got a little too carried away there. We got to take that out. Our our attention span was kind of like the a vision of a hummingbird flitting around a flower, like the way it was like, doop, 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 around <laughs> a flower. We were like here and there and then there and then here. And so, yeah, we had to cut out a little bit. I was just, I was too excited about the littler drama i got carried away so anyway okay anyway so we are going to talk today our hot toppies is our favorite short king is back in the news and (laughs) just because football season is over doesn't mean the football drama stops um earlier this week which was february 28th espn's reporter don van natta reported that dan snyder allegedly had the washington commanders take out a secret 55 million dollar loan from bank of america that his minority investors at the time didn't know about and didn't approve and if you can find this article i think you really really should read it if you haven't if you are interested in either the commander's mess or the nfl generally Every paragraph had some sort of new information, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, it doesn't look good really for anybody. I mean, Dan Snyder, but also the NFL and Roger Goodell. 
Yeah, absolutely not. And the way this came to be was ESPN got a cache of confidential arbitration documents, including the minority investors main arbitration brief, it looks like, and interviewed more than a dozen sources. And when we're talking about these minority investors in the Washington Commanders, these are not like small time players. No, these they're all are, they're all billionaires. Themselves. They're billionaires. Like one of them is the CEO of FedEx, and you know another one is the CEO of a hedge fund. Um, so these are billionaires in their own right. They know what they're doing. And according to ESPN, federal prosecutors in Virginia and the IRS are investigating this, and a federal grand jury has subpoenaed information related to the loan and the team finances. So what exactly happened here? What are the allegations? They have alleged that loans and lines of credit were obtained by Dan Snyder without the approval of the commander's board of directors, and that violated the shareholder agreement, basic corporate governance, and potentially bank uh, truth and lending, or not truth and lending laws, uh, created bank fraud if you lie on an application for a loan. Yeah. So, and to get more granular, like you, you may be getting there, but to get more granular about that, typically when you apply for a bank loan as a company, you have to make representations to the bank that this has been properly authorized through corporate channels, which generally, you know, for a lot of companies, that's going to require the authorization of your board of directors. But this is pretty standard stuff. I mean, I've had to do corporate resolutions just for opening a bank account. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you had to do this. When I opened the bank account for my law firm, LLC, I had to prepare a written consent for me as the sole member approving me as the sole member to open a bank account on behalf of the LLC. So, I mean, this is pretty standard corporate governance stuff. It's usually governed by what they have here, kind of some shareholder stockholder agreement that gives the tells the company exactly what author, what authority they have and what has to be approved by the board of directors. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Bank of America asked repeatedly prior to the loan closing and then after the loan closed for a copy of the board resolution giving authority to the commanders to take out this loan, and they never received it. And that absolutely that my, just boggles my mind. That blew my mind because... Sure sounds like somebody at Bank of America really fucked up because this loan should not have closed if they didn't have evidence that it was appropriately authorized by the board of directors. So I can only speculate that they probably have had a longstanding relationship with Dan Snyder and the commanders. Dan Snyder is a billionaire. Bank of America is now the one handling the potential sale of the commanders. Mm -hmm. So... Whoever was in charge of this loan, I'm speculating, probably fell back on the relationship and was like, oh, I'm sure they're good for it or whatever. But that's not good enough. No, it's not good enough. And on the one hand, I think you're exactly right. And also, you know, the NFL guarantees all debts that teams take out. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure in Bank of America's place, they're like, well, listen, even if we don't have it, the NFL is good for it. Like, we'll get the money one way or the other, but it's still... Basic governance. I mean, what every commercial contract that you and I have ever reviewed isn't one of the reps and warrants in there that the parties are duly authorized to enter into the agreement at hand. Like that is literally the easiest thing to do in a contract and ensure that's correct. So, well, and it's it's so funny because, because, you know, some agreements don't have that. And it's like, ah, I don't know. Why do you need that? This is why. This is why. (laughs) This is why. Because sometimes people do stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Um, so not only again, is this 
against any type of shareholder agreement that the you know minority shareholders allege violated their shareholder agreement, it's potential bank fraud because you do in a bank in a loan application to a bank, you do have to say affirmatively that you are authorized to apply for this loan. And the lawyer for the commanders has come out and said basically, yeah, there's no evidence that any resolution reflecting this authorization exists. So yeah, and this is not insignificant debt for the team either, no. because I think I think their annual revenue is somewhere between 250 and 300 million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And this was a 55 million. So you're looking at a very yeah. significant percentage of the team revenue. And you bringing up team revenue kind of talks about why the minority investors believe Snyder did this. It was yes. Basic- what was his what was his alleged motivation? Well, his alleged motivation was that team revenues dropped significantly um, for a relatively short period of time. I think it was about 30% over three years. So these investors allege that Snyder took out this loan and basically that was to float his cash flow problems. And he used that as a piggy bank, essentially. Um, what, What very necessity cash flow problems did he have and what was he using this money for? Well, really critical business stuff like <laughs> slapping the commander's logo on his personal private jet and charging the team $4.5 million as an advertising fee. And that is go ahead. so <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, it's one thing if you're leasing the plane to the team mm-hmm. to fly the team around and you put the advertising logo on your personal plane so that when the team flies, it's very clearly identified when they're coming in and out of the airport, all that kind of stuff. But that's not what he was doing. He just wanted to put the little commander's logo on his plane and he charged the team four mil- more than $4 million to do that. Do you know what that immediately Bi- reminded me of? Business. You- <laughs> it reminded me of when WeWork filed their S1 and we learned that Adam Newman was licensing basically the WeWork name for tens of millions of dollars every year to the company. And oh my was- God. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me exactly of that. It's like, it's not yours to license to. And also, how is that not a conflict of interest? If mm-hmm. you are a counterparty in an agreement with the company itself and also owe the company a fiduciary duty, so it was it's insane. Um, but also, what else was uh, he doing? What else was he doing? He was having fun. He had a yacht party in the south of France with Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, and the owner of the Buffalo Bills. And they really needed that fancy chef and the yacht attendants to cater to their every need on that yacht party. <laughs> I could not think of a party I would rather go to less. <laughs> I don't know. Jerry and Robert allegedly had threw some pretty wild parties back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know. Mean, the Dan price Snyder's of there. there is pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dan Snyder's there. We could throw him off the side. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there was a lot of Johnny Walker Blue being poured on that yacht party. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he paid for two yachts, they allege multiple houses, 60 staff members, cars, 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 uh, food, booze, and entertainment. How did the investors find out about this loan? That's also a fun little detail. Um, It was footnoted in an April 2020 financial statement by the company. They basically were like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's that $55 million loan. And a footnote. I, I'm trying to imagine being a board member and being like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Well, in the other, the other 
background to all of this that we learn through this reporting is you may be wondering, well, I mean, how did he manage to take out this loan, but the board members don't know about it? Oh, apparently the board just wasn't meeting. Yeah, they just ever. don't in meet. years. They don't. And reportedly, meet. Dan Snyder even said, what the fuck do I need a board for? Which is not a great position to be if you're a board member. <laughs> yeah, I. this is not legal advice, but if you are ever asked to be on a board and it doesn't meet on a regular basis, exit yourself from the board. <laughs> I mean, <Yeah>. it is <laughs> extremely difficult to argue that you are appropriately exercising your fiduciary duties if the board is not meeting in some capacity on a regular basis. Absolutely. Especially for a 250 million or 300 million dollar enterprise. I mean, this is not the this is not uh, you know, Candy's popsicle stand that operates yeah. on a corner, you know. <laughs> no, this is one with a relatively high level of scrutiny, and especially when you are a person who is already subject to a relatively high level of scrutiny in your day job. What did Dan Snyder do after they raise all of these uh, objections and start asking questions about it? Oh, he just unilaterally removed them from the board, uh, which they claim violates their shareholder agreement. Yeah. And I, I'm sure I just, it does. I'm sure it does, because there's no point in having a shareholder agreement if one person can just unilaterally remove you from the board. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, the whole point of being a shareholder is that you get to help elect the board members. And of course, you're voting power determines the extent to which you are actually going to be able to get people on or off the board that you really want on or off the board. But in any event, usually one person <laughs> doesn't have authority to just unilaterally replace the whole board. I mean, that is, yeah, yeah it seems sort of like a sham board. So these minority investors file a lawsuit, most of it's under seal, um, a federal lawsuit in federal court. And then the NFL comes in and what they do is they they and the commanders force this into private arbitration. And so they're in arbitration and the investors start asking the arbitrator, basically, you need, you need to authorize us to essentially subpoena Bank of America. We need to see that the board resolution never made it into this loan package or any of these loan documents. In my understanding, so we have long established in this podcast that I am not a sports ball person. So I assume you're more familiar with this than I am. My understanding is that this is not an arbitration that's run by, say, the American Association of, of Arbitration or JAMA or something like that. This is an arbitration that is run by the NFL. Right. Yes, that's right. Yes. I mean, you if you are if you're involved with the NFL, then you play by the NFL rules, essentially. So this is not an independent arbitration. This is an, I mean, they will say it's an independent arbitration, but it's run at the pleasure and of the NFL. And one thing we should also note here is that Roger Goodell serves at the pleasure of the owners. Right. And he knows what what side of the bread, what side of his bread is buttered on because he's not going to piss off the owners because they're the ones that ensure that he stays as the commissioner of the league. So unsurprisingly, Goodell forces them into arbitration and then basically says, listen, we're not going to arbitrate. Let's just mediate this and we'll come to a resolution here. But the timing, the timing is significant because the minority investors allege that three days after they said, hey, you need to start looking into this unauthorized loan. That's when Goodell said, hey, we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that will not be happening. No, thank you. Uh, and B, you need to sell your stake in the commanders. That is what the outcome needs to be from this arbitration. Figure yeah. it out. Figure out how you're going to sell your stake. 
And then three days after that, they force them into media. They have the mediation. Right. So which ultimately was, leads to them selling their minority stake for like $800 million or something. Yeah, it was $800 million. And this was in what, 2021. And at the valuation, the team now, you know, obviously Dan Snyder, I think we've talked about is shopping his team. He's decided he's going to sell it. And the valuation puts it at about $7 billion. So if they had been paid at that valuation instead of the 875 million they would have received they received they would have received 2.8 billion which is a fairly significant difference in yeah. pricing and valuation it'll be interesting to see if he gets any takers at that valuation jeff bezos allegedly is you know um, prepping he has an investment banker he's lined up allegedly and is looking to buy them as the most interested buyer so it will be very interesting <laughs> to see what the eventual price is for the team when it does eventually sell. Yeah, that'll be interesting. From one short king to another. <laughs> is Jeff Bezos a short king? I don't think I knew that. Uh, I don't think I'm 100% sure, but he sure gives off those vibes. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, this report is an absolute blockbuster. Um, the fact that he's being investigated by the FBI and the IRS for potential bank fraud um, these are like real criminal charges um, that could be, you know, that can result in convictions because these are things that the federal government takes seriously when you defraud a bank out of $55 million. So it's going to be very interesting. Pay attention to this. I don't think Dan Snyder is going away anytime soon. He's going to grace us with content for many months to come, hopefully. Do you, do you know what also is interesting about this timing is that he listed uh, his house for sale back at the beginning of February for $49 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like in light of this, I think that that is kind of interesting timing. That is because I re- there was something in the article too, where he talked about basically he offered to buy out the shareholders and for this $875 million and then was like, oh, but I don't have the cash for this. So he then had to go get a second line of credit, essentially, Mm -hmm. for the cash to pay the shareholders out their stake. So that is relatively interesting that he put his house on the market right when he was looking for cash to pay out the shareholders what they were due as their stake in the team. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, this is not going to be the last time we talk about Dan Snyder, unfortunately. Everything I've learned about Dan Snyder has been against my will. This is also the case for (laughs) Michael Avenatti and a whole host of other people. We had talked about doing a Michael Avenatti episode, and I was like, I will not be doing that. That is is all you if you want to do Avenatti, because everything I've learned about him has been against my will. He's so, he's just like Dan Snyder. He's just so awful. I, it's hard. There's certain topics where people are always like, oh, you have to talk about so-and-so and you have to talk about so-and-so. And sometimes I just don't want to because they either seem awful or it's hard to make it funny or like I, Michael Avenatti had enough publicity. I don't know if I want to talk about him anymore. He sucks and he's in jail now. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. TBD. Well, today we are going to talk about a whole lot of Florida men and one Florida woman as well. You claim Tampa Bay. Yes, I was born in Tampa Bay and lived there for many years and still have a lot of family there. Have you heard of a man named Bubba the Love Sponge Clown? Oh, my God. You have? Yes. Yes. I listened to Bubba the Love Sponge in elementary school. He had a nightly radio show on one of the I was so terrified you were going to say something. It was going to be like an like a second uncle of mine or something. (laughs) 
Yeah, I guess like, I should have. I guess I should have vetted this before we did this. <laughs> but yes, I. I now. Oh my god. Okay, I know what we're talking about now. <laughs> yes, I listened to Bubba the Love Sponge for years. Okay, so for those who are not from Tampa, like uh, JJ, Bubba the Love Sponge Clem is a Florida, Tampa, Florida radio host shock jock. Uh, The Tampa Bay Times described him in 2019 as, quote, one of Tampa Bay's most notorious radio bad boys. To give you an idea of who he is more recently than when JJ was in elementary school. Several, a few years ago. A couple years ago. (laughs) Tucker Carlson used to regularly call into Mr. Sponge's radio show, where Tucker made a variety (laughs) of extremely offensive remarks that I will not repeat here. According to Vox, Clem's career simultaneously featured a long parade of drama. He's known for frequent on-air and off-air feuds with a number of public figures, guests, friends, foes, and other radio hosts, which have led to a number of lawsuits and has frequently landed in hot water for ribald and inflammatory speech. He was kicked off Clear Channel in 2004 after the, the FCC fined the network for a series of violations on Clem's radio show, most of which involved sexually explicit jokes. He also routinely uses homophobic slurs and he says a lot of racist uh, you know, xenophobic stuff too. He wasn't that, uh, this is, I won't say relatively new, but I think he was new-ish on the scene when I started listening to him because he seemed to just be like a nighttime radio host. And I listened to like, What is Love by Hadaway on his radio show. Mm-hmm. I remember that, that kind of stuff. So I think he decided, or as he grew more popular, he became this like awful shock jock, you know, wannabe it's just yeah he wasn't like this when i listened to him that i remember but i also that was what 30 some odd years ago yeah Yeah, and he switched to the morning so he was one of those morning show (laughs) shock shock guys and they're always doing crazy stuff he his fans do you know what his fans call themselves no i don't (laughs) the bubba army (laughs) of course they do It's like the most embarrassing quintessential Florida stuff I've ever heard. He took our jobs. <laughs> they took our germs. Uh, do you, you said, you know what we're talking about. Do you I, think it's the Hulk Hogan sex tape? I knew he was involved in the Hulk Hogan sex tape. I, I know that he had some controversy that had to do with something like criminal. And that's all I remember. Cause I remember seeing his name and thinking like, Oh my God. And that's as far as I got into it. And it like okay, perfect. out of my brain. Okay. <laughs> some other people may recognize his name because a sex tape involving his then wife and Hulk Hogan leaked in 2012. Gawker published mm-hmm. that tape that led to their downfall after Hulk Hogan financed by Peter Thiel sued them for privacy violations. Mm-hmm. Thank God our story today does not involve any sex tape, let alone a Hulk Hogan sex tape. (laughs) Back in the early 2000s, there was another shock jock whose real name was Todd Schnitt. Okay. Who for years went by MJ because apparently when he first got his start in radio, his producer told him something to the effect of, you know, Todd Schnitt sounds like he sells insurance. You need a cooler name than that. And he was like, (laughs) how about MJ? Love radio. (laughs) (laughs) I know he chooses MJ and apparently he could have chosen Bubba the Love Sponge Clem. Yes. Uh, MJ was a competitor to Bubba Sponge in the shock jock radio market in Tampa. In 2001, 
Mr. Sponge was arrested for animal cruelty conducted on one of his live shows. MJ's wife worked in the state attorney's office that brought the animal cruelty charges against Bubba Sponge, which kicked off a very long harassment campaign against MJ. So on air, Sponge claimed that his rival's wife had conspired with the state attorney to bring these animal cruelty charges against Bubba Sponge. Mr. Sponge is eventually acquitted of all animal cruelty charges, but he will not shut up about MJ. He continues to make nasty comments on his show, calling MJ a lying piece of crap, calling his wife a whore. He allegedly accused MJ of plagola, which is a a term in the radio biz (laughs) for where you plug businesses in exchange for favors or gifts and you don't disclose that. Yeah, and you don't disclose it as ads. You can't do that. Yeah. That's like basic FTC stuff. Um, He also alleged that MJ fixed radio contests, that he rigged ratings. He predicted MJ would be indicted on federal racketeering charges. He allegedly encouraged Bubba's army to go after MJ physically. There's a quote from one of the shows where Bubba Sponge says, We are so obsessive. We are seek and destroy. I will not be happy until we have an MJ funeral in the streets of Tampa. Seek and destroy. We don't put people down. We break their necks. Jesus. It's like, (laughs) that's a little inflammatory. (laughs) (laughs) Like, play your little songs. I know, and he's like, and now, Duran Duran. Exactly. (laughs) The latest from Justin Bieber. But MJ alleges that this incites, this does actually work to incite Bubba's mm-hmm. army to harass MJ and his wife. They Their house gets egged. They get harassed when they go out to dinner. They say somebody tried to run them off the road. And it resulted in, quote, Schnitt getting roughed up while handing out beads in a Gasparilla parade. <laughs> uh Gasparilla is basically like the Tampa Mardi Gras by the way. That's, I figured that was it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, I, you know, I don't want to suggest that MJ is such a great guy himself. He apparently now is like just a conservative radio talk show host. So he has left his shock jock days behind him and now is going by Todd Schnitt. Of course he is. <laughs> as a conservative radio host. But back at Grifter's this time, got a grift. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you got to you got to yeah. keep that 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 thing going. Back at the time when he was doing his shock jock gig, he issued, quote unquote, whore scores on his program. There were four young celebrity women that he frequently referred to as the four whores of Hollywood. For reasons that are completely unclear to me and which I refuse to Google, he apparently (laughs) posted a photo of Britney Spears with a shaved head on billboards under the heading nut jobs around Tampa. This is a, everybody sucks here. This is an yeah. ESH situation. So those are who familiar. Situation. Yes. Those are who, who are familiar with the nomenclature from Am I the Asshole on Reddit. Everybody sucks here. Mm-hmm. But in any event, in 2008, MJ sues Bubba Sponge for defamation for all of this stuff in okay. Florida District Court. To do this, MJ hires a lawyer named Phil Campbell. Phil is a 1973 law grad. So even in 2008, okay. like, My guy's old, all right? He's old. He's tired. (laughs) He's an old dude. 
Mr. Sponge hired a law firm called Adams and Diaco, which I believe anybody who's been practicing in Florida for a long time probably will recognize that name because back in the day, before all of this, they had, they were very well known. They had a ton of offices around Florida, lots of lawyers. The case drags on for five years. As you might imagine, it is knocked down, drag out. It is mm-hmm. heavily contested. During that five years, The Adams and Diaco law firm filed multiple motions to have MJ's lawyer, Phil Campbell, removed from representing MJ and his wife. I don't know why. Unfortunately, these case files were destroyed last year. I know. I saw that. I was like, no, (laughs) we're so close. And the Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay newspaper, I forget what it's called, but the paper of record has actually covered this extensively, but I was unwilling to subscribe in order to get to the bottom (laughs) of this. There's a limit to our nosiness. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I already subscribed to the New York Times and there's a limit to the indignities I'm willing to subject myself to. (laughs) But over and over, they try to get Phil Campbell off this case without any success. It doesn't work. The case gets set for trial in January 2013 five years later. There is an associate at attorney at Adams and Diaco. And to be clear, he technically is a partner of the firm, but he's called an associate attorney, I guess, because he's not an equity partner or something. But <laughs> a, new, a new way to insult income partners. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of more accurate, right? You're I mean, a you super are just associate. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> You're a gold star associate, buddy. <laughs> now you don't get subsidies for your health care and you have to pay into the 401k of the staff. <laughs> and by the way, you're going to be paying partnership taxes too. So good job. One day, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you'll get some distributions. We'll see. This associate attorney at Adams and Diaco has a very close personal friend, Ray. Ray was not at the Adams and Diaco law firm. He was a sergeant with the Tampa Police Department. You're laughing. (laughs) (laughs) At this time, he is commander of the Traffic Enforcement Unit, which is otherwise known as the DUI Squad. But he's been with the department for a long time. I mean, almost 20 years. He's got to be 100% upstanding, nice guy. I mean, he's a cop, never lied, definitely never lied. Yeah. Totes. And this story is absolutely going to bear that out. Yeah. (laughs) At the end of November 2012, which is about eight weeks out from trial, the Adams and Diaco associate attorney calls up Sergeant Ray. And he tells Sergeant Ray... There's this guy that works in my building. He's an attorney and he gets drunk all the time. He goes to Malio's and he drinks it up and he drives home drunk. And his name is Phil Campbell. And for those who don't know, Malio's is like this. Have you been to Malio's? It's this fancy pants steakhouse in in downtown Tampa. I've I've heard of it. I haven't been to that one. We would always go to Burns if we went to a steakhouse in Tampa. (laughs) I couldn't believe this. I was so delighted. I've been to Malio's. You have? I've been to Malio's. <laughs> I had a federal trial in Tampa. And we went for dinner at, at Malio's one night while we were there for trial. Um, so yeah, it's a fancy, it's it's a fancy steakhouse in Tampa. And I I honestly don't remember there was nothing truly remarkable about the food the to steakhouse. me. It was it was yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah. Inside, it looks to me, you wouldn't know if you were at a restaurant at like a Hilton. I mean, it's kind of got that nondescript Mm -hmm. hotel restaurant vibe Mm -hmm. to it. But apparently it's like this kind of 
if you're a highly paid attorney in downtown Tampa, maybe you like to go, you know, have a little round at Malio's and feel fancy and, you know. It's the rattlesnake bar of Tampa. (laughs) (laughs) For those that are in Dallas. (laughs) For those outside of Dallas, that's the bar at the Ritz-Carlton. And it is one of my favorite places in Dallas because the people watching is exquisite it is perfection the people watching is perfection there it's worth whatever they're charging for a drink it's worth it just to go enjoy yourself watching people yes fantastic so anyway so so this adams and diaco associate calls up sergeant ray and says hey phil campbell goes to malio's he gets wasted and he drives drunk doesn't say anything about the fact that Adams and Diaco is representing Bubba Sponge Mm -hmm. in his lawsuit against Phil Campbell's client. Sergeant Ray is like, well, I'm the head of the DUI unit. I love arresting drunk drivers. Let's fucking go. (laughs) Let's get the SWAT team and roll the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) So he orders another Tampa PD officer to stake out the restaurant in downtown Tampa. By the way, Tampa is like a city. They have other things to focus on. <laughs> right. right. He's like, go sit on this restaurant. And gave this officer specific instructions to look out for Phil Campbell, including a description of Phil Campbell's car that came from this Adams and Diaco associate. Mm-hmm. They're like, he drives a black BMW. Look out. Oh, boy, that'll narrow it down with lawyers. <laughs> 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 he drives a black three series. <laughs> Well, I hope at the end of his career, Phil was doing a little bit better than a three series, but we'll see. (laughs) So after about 45 minutes, this other Tampa PD officer gives up and abandons his little stakeout. Okay, so that's about eight weeks before trial. Fast forward to January 2013. It is the second week of trial in the MJ versus Bubba Sponge defamation, defamation case. I believe that they are getting close to finishing the trial. So after trial one day, our friend Phil goes to Malio's to meet oh, no, a partner <laughs> to meet a partner for drinks after mm-hmm. trial. A paralegal from Adams and Diaco happens to be at Malio's getting Liddy there. She's about to leave. She's with a girlfriend. She's about to leave. And on her way out, she sees Phil. Okay. She and her friend drive to another bar because they're going to keep this party going. Mm-hmm. And the paralegal texts Bob Adams, the Adams of Adams and Diaco, to tell him, hey, Phil's at Malio's. Bob lets the Diaco of Adams and Diaco knows and then calls back the paralegal. They send her back to Malio's where Phil is enjoying himself, you know, glass of mm-hmm. wine or who knows, an old fashioned. We don't know exactly what all the text messages said because everybody deleted everything. Of course they did. Very quickly after this came to light. But this paralegal apparently told the state's attorney's office during a later investigation, well, I I offered, I believe I offered to just go back if they needed, you know, anything, any other to see maybe if he's still there. I, I don't know. Whatever information the police or authorities needed. The two named partners of Adams and Diaco pick up the phone. They call the associate who is besties with Sergeant Ray to tell him Phil's back at Malio's. If you're this associate, what do you do? I mean, if I'm this associate, I'm 
I guess you're not really texting in this time period quite as much. Oh, they but were. I, they were. Oh, they were. Okay. Yeah. Then I am shooting a text old to Sergeant Ray and being like, roll out. Get <laughs> He's here. Let's do it. <laughs> he does one better. He picks up the phone and he calls Sergeant Ray. Ray answers. The associate basically tells him, hey, that guy who works in my building is at Malio's getting shit canned again. Sergeant Ray asks the associate, hey, is that guy, that's the guy you called me about before back in November? And the associate tells him, yeah, yeah, he's out drinking again at Malio's. He's going to drive home again tonight drunk. And Sergeant Ray tells him, well, we didn't get him last time. We'll sit on him again and see what he does. (laughs) Sergeant Ray once again assigns a member of the DUI squad to sit outside Malio's and keep an eye out for Phil's Mm -hmm. black BMW. But it's going to take a little while to get all this in place. And if you're the paralegal, so the paralegal in the meantime, she and her friend have returned to Malio's because they got to like, they got to lay eyes yeah. on Phil, right? Yeah. She's, she's the on the ground intel right. here. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're the paralegal, you want to keep an eye on Phil. What are you going to do? Oh God, I'm going to go up to the bar and I'm just going to order a drink and stick myself like two seats down from him and just watch. You are so close. (laughs) She goes to the bar and she sits down right next to Phil. Oh gosh. I don't know if I'd go right next to him. (laughs) Not only that. So Phil is there. He's having a drink with one or two other attorneys at his firm. Do you think that she tells him that she's a paralegal at Adams and Diaco, their opposing counsel in this extremely contentious, highly publicized trial? She's had one or two. I think she might. (laughs) She tells Phil and his buddies that she's a paralegal at a completely different law firm across town. Oh. (laughs) She strikes up a conversation with him and the other two attorneys that he's with. The state bar leader says that she openly and obviously flirted with Phil. Mm-hmm. She buys them all rounds. <laughs> She's like, knock them back, boys. <laughs> Lawyers, am I right? Let's yeah. get around, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so good looking. You feel like you could, you seem like you could use some new drinks. <laughs> this goes on for hours. Oh my God. And this time, the Tampa DUI unit is not giving up. There are officers stationed outside Malio's. Sergeant Ray also shows up at some point and I think like parks around the corner because he doesn't want to miss the action. (laughs) And I want to remind you again, this guy is the head of the DUI squad for the the entire Tampa Police Department, which is a large enough city. Yeah, exactly. Like it's a real city. (laughs) This is not a one stoplight town. Yeah. (laughs) One of the cops texts Sergeant Ray to ask him, hey, is anybody to tell us when Phil leaves? And Sergeant Ray, and this is a long time before Sergeant Ray, before Philip leaves, Sergeant Ray says, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's kind of obvious, like, the plan is we're staying until Phil leaves and we can get him. There's a problem with this plan. The paralegal learns that Phil did not drive to Malio's. I was just about to ask, aren't they assuming that he drove in all of this? (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's one critical component to DUI, and that's the D. (laughs) Right. There. There are two necessary, I guess there are three necessary components for DUI. You have to have a cop, you have to have a car, and you have to have somebody who's been drinking. (laughs) Phil did not drive to Malio's. He walked there. (laughs) And he didn't live far from the restaurant, so he planned just to walk home. Oh, well, 
they're going to get him for public intoxication, though. <laughs> and this apparently was actually Phil's M.O. Mm-hmm. The state bar had Malio's restaurant manager and bartender testify later. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they testify later that this was Phil's M.O. He typically would come into Malio's once or twice a week. He'd have one or two drinks and then he'd walk home. Mm-hmm. And his plan, which, you know, I, I shouldn't Monday morning quarterback, Phil's an old guy who's been doing this for a long time. But his plan basically was, I'm going to have one or two drinks. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be in bed by 10. I'm going to get up at 2 a.m. and work on trial prep to be in court by 8 or 8.30 the following morning. So that's what Phil's plan was. You're making faces. That awful. It's an awful plan. <laughs> Other people have different working habits. Okay, sure. But like yeah. that made my skin crawl. <laughs> I know I read that. And I was like, what the fuck? Like that sounds yeah. awful. You're in trial, dude. Get it together. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, apparently that's what he's done for his jury trials oh, for years, for according according to this. Okay. So you're the paralegal. You don't have the critical component of the car and you've got the entire DUI squad of the city of Tampa outside <laughs> the restaurant what are we gonna do here i'm gonna be like oh i'm too drunk to drive can you drive me back to my house and you are correct that phil doesn't have to be driving his car he just has to be driving a car Mm -hmm. at this point the paralegal herself appears visibly drunk to everybody i was about to say it's not like she's faking it she's drinking too (laughs) which makes sense because she's been drinking since at least five it's now around 9 30 or so yeah so even phil says hey let me call you a cab you are like you're drunk yeah and she says well i can't because i valeted and i have to get my car from the valet and then I'm going to drive home like, <laughs> <laughs> and the cops will be like, bye, you, you drive safe. <laughs> well, there is, there is a reference and it's somewhere in all these papers and I couldn't track it down to screenshot it for my script here. But there is basically a reference because this whole scheme diverts Tampa PD resources to this just asinine plot. Yes. And there's a reference somewhere to somebody literally driving the wrong way down a street in front of these DUI officers. And they just basically (laughs) sit there because they're waiting on Phil and they're going to get Phil. So she says, she says, well, you know, I'm going to drive home after I get my car from valet. Our friend Phil is a concerned citizen. And he tells her, look, let's see if your car can be kept overnight in the parking garage. I'm sure it's going to be fine. I mean, this surely is not the first time in history that some drunk person at Malio's has been overserved and unable to drive themselves home. Yes. Okay. So Phil's going to put your car in the overnight garage. What do you do? Oh my gosh. I guess. Yeah. I let everyone know that he's going to be driving it to the overnight garage. Like, is that like half a block maybe? (laughs) Phil, the paralegal says, well, okay, but I need something out of my car. Mm-hmm. Phil says okay. He takes her valet ticket. They everybody goes out to the valet stand. He has the car brought up after confirming that it could be left overnight. And I think his plan at this point is the valet is going to go get your car. You're going to get your stuff out. The valet is going to take your car back to overnight, mm-hmm. and then uh, you're going to take a cab home. At this point, the paralegal throws kind of a drunk chant tantrum, and she refuses <laughs> to leave her car in the parking garage because she demands that it be in a public parking lot where she can get to it and this isn't fully spelled out but i think the implication is that the parking garage is 
connected to an office building yeah. and maybe if she comes back at six o'clock or seven o'clock the building might not be open she may not yeah. be able to get to the parking garage phil tries to convince her to leave the car she's adamant this goes on by the way for like 20 minutes and i want to i want to reiterate again phil is supposed to be in trial at eight o'clock the following morning <laughs> yeah. it is now almost 10 o'clock at night arguing with this drunk ass paralegal about her yeah, car <laughs> a drunk paralegal so she's absolutely adamant this has to be in a public garage so finally, he's like, oh, my God, you know, I have to go home and get some sleep. Like, just get me the fuck out of here. So finally, he says, look, there's a parking lot near my apartment building. I will drive your car there. You can get a cab from there. And I mean, this parking lot is maybe a couple blocks away. Yeah. Right. So he's had a couple of drinks. He's going a couple of blocks. Yeah. You know, he's just going to park. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, before they've even gone outside, the paralegal texts Diaco who calls the associate who is friends with Sergeant Ray. <laughs> the associate texts Sergeant Ray. One minute after that, Sergeant Ray texts the cop on the stakeout leaving bar down. The cops still think that Phil's going to be in his own black BMW. The stakeout cop responds to Sergeant Ray with the question, black convertible, question mark. Mm -hmm. Sergeant Ray says BMW, yes. While the paralegal and Phil are out by the valet stand arguing about where her car is going to be, <laughs> She's also texting and calling the associate at Adams and Diaco and calling Adams himself. Like as Phil is standing there, she's, I mean, she's, it this is not a like criminal she, mastermind. <laughs> she's a whole ass drunk mess. Yeah. And again, nobody has the text, but obviously she was telling them like, oh shit, he doesn't even have his car. I'm trying to get mm -hmm. him into mine because minutes after she calls Adams, Sergeant Ray texts the stakeout cops, quote, dark Nissan valet Malios. And Ray, Sergeant Ray asks one of the stakeout cops to drive valet by the valet stand to make sure that they could see the car. The stakeout cop does. Few minutes later, 9.57 PM, Phil pulls out of the, the Malios parking lot in the paralegals Nissan. Sergeant Ray has stayed for this action. He's not going to miss this glory. He is off duty at this point. He's in an unmarked car, but he like, like whips out, <laughs> pulls Phil over. Phil doesn't even make it like a block. Pulls <laughs> Phil over. Basically, as soon as the car leaves Malio's, it's like mm -hmm. Tampa PD descends on this <laughs> 60 or 70 year old lawyer. The other stakeout out cops show up they arrest phil for a dui phil's not going home to do his, tr his trial prep he's going to jail yeah okay but now they have to figure out what to do with the paralegal's car because generally in florida vehicles used in a dui are supposed to be impounded yeah they're supposed to be towed <laughs> right sergeant ray because he is head of the squad has the discretion to waive that requirement if a sober driver is available <laughs> but she's not sober she is very far from sober <laughs> But there's another reason that he won't give her the car, which is that her license is suspended. <laughs> so during this time, Sergeant Ray is back texting with his associate friend at Adams and Diaco, like, hey, I can't give this car back to your paralegal. Her license is suspended. And it seems like his concern was that her license was suspended, not that she's like drunk as a drunk. skunk. Yeah. So the paralegal's back on the phone with Adams from Adams and Diaco now, like, what the fuck do we do? Adams calls another associate, Brian. Brian gets dropped off at the scene of the arrest. We don't know who drops him off. We just know he gets dropped off at 10 o'clock at night. I was just what, like, what's the billing code for this? <laughs> Life is too short for this shit. <laughs> Brian's a 2006 grad. So around this time, he would have been a seven-year lawyer. 
Brian hops in the Nissan, drives the paralegal home. And I I kind of have it in my mind that she lives a ways out of Tampa. So he has to drive her all the way to to her house. (laughs) He later testifies that when he's at her house and he's waiting for a cab to take him home, the paralegal was legit excited to tell him basically about this sting that she set up to capture Phil in this DUI. And she even tells him that she was directed to go to Malio's to spy on him, to get him to stay and to get him to drink more and to be able to get Tampa PD in place. But she also told Brian that Diaco told her she'd get a giant bonus. She'd be their best paid paralegal. Mm -hmm. You know, like you go girl, girl boss. Yeah. Do some, do some girl boss entrapment. (laughs) Okay. Everybody goes to bed. So, scene. (laughs) Except for Phil, who's in jail. (laughs) I mean, Phil might be going to bed. It's just going to be very uncomfortable. But yes, he's in jail. Okay. Now, it's the following morning. Remember, the paralegal told Phil that she was not a paralegal at Adams & Diaco, but at another lawyer's firm. If you're her, do you think you say anything to that lawyer? You just, like, hope for the best. I think she just hopes for the best. And she, like, head down, put, like, a... Something, some kind of hoodie on. Is she in court? Is she in court with this? Not yet. Oh, no. (laughs) The following morning, our paralegal friend is busy. Uh, Mm -hmm. She texts this attorney whose firm she claimed to be employed by and says, quote, if someone calls looking for me, tell them you don't know me or don't tell them who I am. (laughs) No red flags there if you're receiving that text. (laughs) She also was drinking with her girlfriend for a good portion of the night. So, and this happens a few days after Phil's arrest, but I'll tell you now. She leaves a voicemail on that girlfriend's phone to tell her that an investigator from Adams and Diaco would be calling her to prep her regarding any questions she might get get about that night. To her credit, the friend at this point had seen news about Phil's arrest. It's like, fuck no. Cut off all communications with her. Refused to talk to her. Yeah, she's like, (laughs) I don't want that smoke. All right, this is a high-profile case in Tampa. It's only been, you know, I don't know, what, eight hours, ten hours since Phil's arrest. Everybody knows that MJ's attorney in the Mm -hmm. MJ versus Bubba Love sponge case has been arrested for a Dewey at the (laughs) end of trial. Phil gets out of jail at 6.30 in the morning. The parties show up at 8 30 in front of the judge. Oh my judge. god. He's still in the outfit that he wore yesterday. Probably. <laughs> Phil's co-counsel asks for a brief continuance. He's like, let's give the jury the day off. We can all work on our trial instructions. The judge and the part and critically all the parties agree to this recess. Okay. But after that hearing, Diaco goes outside and talks to the press. And he has some thoughts. (laughs) Now, there is some context I haven't shared with you, which is many years ago, Phil got a DUI. It's been a long time. And as we've discussed, you know, the people at Malio's are like, hey, he comes in, he has one or two drinks. He walks home. (laughs) My yard guy literally just got here, by the way. So (laughs) he's like right outside my window. So if anyone hears me background, that's what happened. He's only three days off his regular schedule. Just a just a little background noise for us. Yeah. In any event, it doesn't seem like Phil's a recidivist. I mean, he's literally walking to and from work and to and from the restaurant. Yeah. 
Diaco talks to the press. I've got a lot of quotes. I'll read just a couple. Uh, this is his second time. So it's just, you know, the whole thing makes me embarrassed to be an attorney. And I'm ashamed of all this whole process has continued to be a mockery of the system. But we believe in the system. We believe in the jury. And we're going to let Bubba's peers decide this case. Another quote. We were prepared for trial today. We were working last night in preparation for trial. And so now <laughs> we have to wait. The jury has to wait. And we have to see how this plays out. I don't understand why his other partners who have been in there every single day of the trial can't continue this case. <laughs> I hope he gets help. My partner and I were working on this trial last night. Phil didn't seem to be doing the same. And now we're being penalized. I mean, they were working on it by entrapping him. <laughs> <laughs> they were busy. hard at work. Yeah, they were, were very busy. busy. <laughs> this is all over Tampa News. Diaco chooses this time to call up Phil's co-counsel and be like, hey, we should talk settlement. <laughs> that obviously does not happen. Yeah. There's another problem for everybody and something I haven't told you. A twist. <laughs> Phil took his trial bag with him to Malio's. Oh, no. <laughs> Will you tell our listeners who may not know what a trial bag is? Oh my god! Especially think old guy, like not technology. Like yeah, think old this guy. Is old guy. It's not like on a iPad. You have a trial binder, you know, or binders, depending on. And this is a big trial, so you're going to have a lot of binders. And they have word for word, question for question, your witness outlines, your notes, your deposition transcripts, all your notes for your closing, like literally everything that has to do with a trial. It's in those trial binders, and you cannot have a trial without your trial binder oh my god <laughs> it is the map mm -hmm. the detailed map to your entire trial strategy yeah <laughs> if you ever came across an opponent's trial binder would you take it upon yourself to rifle through it <gasps> no that i mean oh my that god that would be deeply <laughs> deeply unethical yeah and for those that aren't lawyers there are even like we have ethical obligations if another side in litigation accidentally discloses privileged communications work product to us we have an affirmative obligation to return it to them and not look at it like that is again we talk about this a lot this is another basic ethical obligation that lawyers have <laughs> So Phil took his travel bag with him to Malio's. And that's part of the reason that his co-counsel asked for continuance is because they're like, we got to get our tra his travel bag back. It's got everything yeah. we need in it. When Phil was arrested, where do you think that trial bag was? Did the paralegal have it? It was in the backseat of her car. No. <laughs> I was wondering how this all like wrapped up with the state bar issue. And now I know. <laughs> It was in the back of her car. When he gets out of jail at 6.30 a.m. that morning, he's like, I have to find that bag. Yeah. Seems like it should be pretty easy, though. She said where she was a paralegal. You call over to that firm. You get it. And maybe it's, you know, they open at 8 or 8.30 and yeah. you need to push trial back by half an hour, an hour, whatever. But. They call the law firm that she told them she worked at. 
And there, that that law firm is like, uh, never heard of her. Yeah, we never. They, they, there's no paralegal here by that name. This there's is about a LinkedIn, so you can't just Google her and be like, oh, she's a paralegal here, right? And it might be, I don't know if it's pre-LinkedIn or not. I'm trying, well, pre, no, there's probably- Pre-massive acceptance. This is 2013, so she probably, she may have been on LinkedIn. But anyway, there's a 19-hour period where Phil's trial bag is in possession of the attorneys at Adams and Diaco. Oh, my God. The paralegal has been given the day off after her <laughs> late-night activities. As so she meant for her late-night activities. I mean, she was really it's like a flex time because she was working so many hours the day before they yeah. got to give her the day off so that she doesn't overtime at the end of the week so she does it's not like she walks out the next morning and realizes you know at 7 a.m or something that this yeah. is in the back of her car it's noon before she makes it out to her car <laughs> she calls adams to tell him oh shit phil's briefcase is in the back of my car Adams is like, I'm too busy for this. Have Diaco deal with it. Diaco has Brian, the associate, go back <laughs> out Brian. to her house and get the briefcase. What so did Brian to- do to piss in this guy's Cheerios to get the short <laughs> straw? <laughs> All of these. <laughs> so Brian drives back out to her house to get this bag. <laughs> Goes back to the office. Okay, so what do you do with this bag? I mean, you're Adams and Diaco... You have the holy grail of your trial opponent's strategy in your possession. What do you do? I mean, if I'm not the law firm that sets up my opposing counsel to get a DUI, we sequester it and don't look at it. But clearly they're not those people. So I'm rifling the shit through that binder. (laughs) We don't know one way or another. What we do know is that they had it. Mm -hmm. They don't seem like they're super outstanding people. (laughs) In the meantime, they it finally hits them like, oh, shit, like, it's bad that we have this. Yeah. Like, this is real bad. How do we explain that our paralegal you, who said she wasn't our paralegal yeah. <laughs> had, like, had it and now we have it? This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're cracking up. <laughs> so Diaco and associate drive it back to the paralegal's house. <laughs> And they're like, you give this back because they don't know who you are. Like, they don't know that you're connected to us. You give it back. Go drop it off with, you know, go take it to their law firm. Diaco and Brian have dropped off the bag with the paralegal. They're on the way back to the office. The paralegal's on her way to Diaco and Adams in a cab, by the way. Shouldn't take Mm -hmm. her own car. In a cab. When Phil's co-counsel calls them up as they're in the car and they're like, we know who the paralegal is, you fucks. (laughs) <laughs> Where's our trial bag? <laughs> They've somehow managed to piece together who the paralegal is. Giacomo's like, chill, we'll bring it back to your office, NBD. So the paralegal's in a cab on her way to Phil's office building with this trial bag. She she is like, uh-uh. Like, nope, nope, nope. nope. <laughs> she tells the cab driver to deliver it to Phil's law firm office. Oh, She's like, stick the cab driver with that. that. I'm not going up yeah. there myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going there. That seems bad. I've never met a cab driver that I think would do courier stuff for me, but this guy does. There must have, I assume there must have been some money in it for him to go do it. Yeah. I believe he takes it to the wrong firm <laughs> in the same building, but it eventually makes its way back to Phil and his co-counsel. Yeah. 
all hell breaks loose. Phil's co-counsel tries to subpoena Diaco for a hearing the next morning in front of the judge. Adams and Diaco lock their office doors and won't let the process server in. <laughs> even, though they're, process. <laughs> even though they're in, in the office, they're like, uh-uh, nope. <laughs> you can't you can't serve me. I don't have to show up. <laughs> I, I have lock. a vision of him like peeking out of the mini blinds to see if the process <laughs> server shows up. They lock the doors. Everybody is back in front of the judge the next morning. They move for mistrial in this MJ versus Bubba Sponge case Mm -hmm. based both on Diaco's statements to the press, the fact that they stole his trial bag. Judge tells Diaco, I mean, they make, even though he hasn't been subpoenaed, judges like Diaco, you you get your ass to this courtroom. Yeah. Diaco shows up, magically does not have his cell phone with him, which by the way, again, this is 2013. We all have Blackberries and cell phones at this yeah, point. Yeah, I was about to say, you, you may not have had an iPhone then, like they weren't like the cell phone at that point, but you had a cell phone. You certainly had a Blackberry or something yeah. like that. The judge asks him whether he had any conversations with this paralegal or the associate who was buddies with Sergeant Ray mm-hmm. two nights before. And Diaco's basically like, golly gosh, I don't remember. <laughs> The judge asks, I do his, not recall. <laughs> I don't recall. The judge yeah. asks who his cell phone carrier is. Diaco's like, don't know. Can't tell you. <laughs> the paralegal also shows up to testify. And when she's asked about whether she had been instructed or asked to meet and buy drinks for Phil, she takes the fifth. Diaco takes the fifth a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Phil's DUI charges were dropped seven months later. Seven months. <laughs> seven months. It took seven months to drop these stupid charges. Schnitt versus uh, the the MJ versus Love Sponge trial continued. uh, The judge did not declare a mistrial. Diaco and Adams actually got a defense verdict in favor of Mr. Sponge. The the MJ and his wife filed a motion for new trial. The parties ultimately settled. Mm -hmm. They also later refused to pay Phil his fees, and they tried to stiff him out of, like, I think $1.6 million in fees or something. Everyone does suck here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, everybody's an asshole. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has to sue them. They eventually are ordered to pay all of his fees. Sergeant Ray gets fired. Hooray! (laughs) He's probably, like, police chief at some, like city he's like chicago chief of police now or something like that i I haven't googled him i probably should yeah the paralegal stayed employed with adams adams and diaco she got a nine thousand dollar bonus for 2013 a sixty five (laughs) hundred dollar raise and a credit card paid for by adam adams and diaco so what do we think the state bar does adams and diaco their associate who's buddies with sergeant ray have attempted to subvert justice undermine the public trust they've lied (laughs) what are we doing here i mean i think they're having a hearing on this right i i mean i don't i think they're instituting some sort of hearing on it and what do you think the ultimate punishment is oh it's gonna be like a year suspension that's fully probated or something like that (laughs) everybody gets us gets disbarred (gasps) really (laughs) So Diaco agreed to be disbarred. Mm -hmm. And I think, so Florida has different, different states do this differently, but Florida has a deal where you get kind of like the baby disbarment where you can't practice for a number of years, but you can ask to be reinstated. Mm -hmm. And then they also have permanent disbarment where 
the the Florida State Bar will never consider your request to be reinstated. Diaco asked, agreed to be disbarred. I think initially he asked to get kind of the baby junior disbarment. Mm-hmm. And the state Supreme Court was like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Adams and this associate who knew Sergeant Ray asked for suspensions and both the state bar and the Florida Supreme Court were like, absolutely the fuck not. You were all getting disbarred. The Florida Supreme Court said, quote, the misconduct in this case is unique and essentially unprecedented. This is among the most shocking, unethical and unprofessional conduct as has ever been brought before this court. The court said that their actions, quote, constituted a deliberate and malicious effort to place a heavy finger on the scales of justice for the sole benefit of themselves and their client. The personal and professional harm inflicted upon Philip Campbell, a fellow attorney, and his client's case, upon Sergeant Ray, a personal friend of this associate and officer of the law, and upon the legal system, the legal profession, and the public's confidence in both was simply collateral damage from their point of view. Their willingness to inflict and indifference to causing such harm is, in the words of the bar referee, quite stunning. The bar And the bar referee did not find remorse as a mitigating factor. Mm-hmm. Basically, the, the state bar found they weren't even remorseful for what they did, because apparently when they show up for these state bar proceedings, Adams and the associate are like, look, um, we just really care a whole lot about getting drunk drivers off the road. And like that's what was going on here. <laughs> they're like holding up the bloody shirt of a drunk driver defense. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how can you punish us when we just care so much about being right. against drunk driving? Right. And it's like, <laughs> but he wasn't going to drive. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You manufactured him into driving. <laughs> what if I told you? A twist. <laughs> this isn't the first time Adams and Diaco's law firm had tried something super shady to entrap a litigation opponent. No, they were practiced at it. <laughs> What's weird is I think these guys were doing like a lot of insurance defense. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've done insurance defense. Maybe I just did it in a like uptight, super ethical we practice. Were really boring the way we <laughs> did it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> During when the bar is uh, having its proceedings against uh, Adams and his associate, they have a chiropractor testify. Completely unrelated to Bubba Sponge, MJ, Mm -hmm. the the events at Malio's, any of that. This chiropractor sued Progressive Insurance Company regarding some fees of his that they hadn't paid. And the key issue in that case was whether his fees were reasonable. Mm Mm-hmm. Adams of Adams and Diaco represented Progressive. A few days before trial starts in that Progressive case, two young ladies showed up at the chiropractor's <laughs> office for a he's consultation. Honey, he's honeypotting all of his opponents. <laughs> they didn't have any ID, but he sees them anyway. They don't have any insurance, and they ask well, can you discount our rates? So basically, can you charge us something less than what you would charge the insurance company? He says, no, but I'm willing to put you on a payment plan. They make Mm -hmm. appointments for the following week. They never show up. But he doesn't think anything about it. Like, it sucks that somebody cancels their appointments, whatever. Yeah. But then the next week at trial, Adams and Diaco puts into evidence gigantic blown up photographs inside his office. 
<laughs> and they're recent because there's a freezer that he'd only bought a few weeks earlier. And this chiropractor is like, that's weird. I don't remember anybody from Progressive showing up to take photographs. I don't remember my lawyer telling me that mm-hmm. this was going to happen. This is weird. But he remembers those two women. So he looks at his call log from when one of them called for an appointment, Googles it, discovers she's a paralegal at Adams and Diaco's Miami (laughs) office. Basically, what he concludes is that they are there to get admissions from him about his fee policy that can be used against him at trial. To show basically show that he's unreasonable because here he's going to charge less to them. Well, unreasonable, but maybe even defrauding the insurance companies if he's Mm -hmm. willing to charge them something significantly less than what he's charging the insurance companies. They picked the wrong one. Apparently, this guy was a frequent fee litigator. Like, if you're an insurance company and you're not going to pay his fees, he's going to sue you. He doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. He also regularly filed complaints against attorneys with the Florida State Bar. <laughs> so he files a complaint with the Florida yeah. Bar. What do you think they do? Well, for that, they probably do nothing. That's right. They send yeah. him a letter back days later. Days I mean, later. they turn this around lightning yeah. speed. Mm-hmm. And they're basically like, look, this doesn't have anything to do with us. Go sue him if you have a problem with it. Yeah. There's also a Florida State Agency for Consumer Complaints. So then he sends a complaint to them. Mm -hmm. And Progressive eventually sends that state agency a letter that said, oh, uh, Adams and Diaco didn't actually direct their attorney, their employees to go try and get evidence. It just looks like, you know, these two paralegals were over on their own yeah on their Mm -hmm. own initiative they took (laughs) it upon themselves to go to this office and see what they could do about it and then we used it at trial (laughs) yes and then and then weird it shows up literally days later in trial blown up so this is all about two years before the mj versus bubba love sponge trial Mm -hmm. but when the chiropractor sees all of that in the news he's like i knew it i knew it they tried it on me And he gets in touch with the bar and yeah. Phil Campbell and and tells them about what had happened. So Phil is still practicing, as best I can tell. The Adams and Diaco law firm was disbanded because obviously yeah. two of its when your name, two partners, name partners are disbarred. Were disbarred. <laughs> but one of Diaco's brothers, also named Diaco, was a partner in the firm. So he now has, I think it's called like Diaco Law Group or Diaco Law. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So there is still a Diaco entity practicing mm-hmm. law in Florida. It's just not, you know, the, the two guys one. who got disbarred. Yeah. <laughs> and then our friend Brian. I was going to ask about Brian. <laughs> drove all over creation. <laughs> uh, is not working for the Diacos anymore, but he is practicing. And as best I can tell, wasn't disciplined publicly related to this whole thing. Good. <laughs> That's that was not where I thought that story was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a far cry from a sex tape. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> that was so fun. So I don't know what we're doing next after this. I don't think we have anything to tease. More to come. Something, something. Yeah, some lawyers fucking up or some shit. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will do something. 
we'll I find have something. a whole list of like topics to do. I just haven't dug into them. Yeah. And I, I went on this rant on our last episode, but it's so hard when the pleadings aren't public. Like I get all the, yeah. I get all these great tips and I want to write about it. But then if the pleadings aren't public, then it's impossible to really get the details you need to dive into these stories. Yeah. It, they're so frustrating. It's so frustrating. <laughs> I know. I know. We need pleadings to be public. So we'll leave it there and we will see everybody next week. Thanks, guys. Don't forget to please leave us a review and we will talk to you next week.